Dr. Anthony, uh, the big 4-0, and so you'll want to text him or email him or, or whatever. I think his uh, family has kidnapped him today, and uh, they are at an undisclosed location celebrating his 40th birthday together. Um, and uh, so I'm really glad to be here today, grateful for the opportunity to pinch hit for him, and uh, grateful to be in my home church. I, because I work with the ministry called Lifeline Children's Services, I am away many Sundays in other churches, uh, partnering with them. Lifeline is a ministry that does adoption and orphan care in about 30 different countries, and about, uh, well, we're in every state in the in the uh, United States. We have offices in about 12 of those states, but we have families that are adopting from every state in the union, and uh, then we are serving orphans who are not going to get adopted in countries around the world, and uh, you can find out more about that. Uh, there's some information out in the lobby about Lifeline. I want to speak to you today on this topic, living a life of generosity, living a life of generosity, and we read the passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, which in the New Testament are two of the key passages on having a generous heart. And here's why I want us to, to think about that today, because I am convinced that when we understand what generosity is and what God wants it to be in us and through us uh, as individuals, as families, as a church, that it will, it will be revolutionary. Uh, and so what does that mean? What, what am I promising you today? I'm promising you that if we embrace the biblical idea of generosity, it will uh, allow us to enter into, uh, in, in a new way, living in a, uh, in a way that's no longer based on self-interest, in a way that is no longer based on self-serving, but is a reflection of the God who made us and who generously gave himself for us, right? Let's do a fill in the blank. For God so loved the world that he he gave. He gave. And so here is my working definition of generosity. You won't find this in the dictionary. This is a little wootenology here. And so this is my definition of generosity. Generosity is the natural and appropriate response of those of us who have been confronted by the grace of God so that everything we are Everything we have and everything that we hope to become or one day will become uh, is meant to be shared in the advancement of the kingdom and the glory of God. And that's what generosity is. So generosity, even though the, the passages that we read in Second Corinthians 8 and Second Corinthians 9 kind of had a financial tone to them, I want you to understand this morning that generosity is not uh, just money. Now, it includes money, but generosity is much more than that. And I hope that we'll see that as we walk through our time together today. So there are 10 realities that I want to share with you today about the idea of living a life of generosity. And the first idea is this. God is a generous God. God is a generous God. The reason we would want to be generous in the first place is because we want to be like him. And he's generous. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the Bible says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This is not the only passage in the New Testament that speaks of God as an unsparing God. God is a generous God. 
He is generous to you every day. He's generous in creation. The other night, my my wife and our kids went to dinner together. We're driving down A1A. There's a beautiful full, full moon out over the ocean. And, and we're enjoying the beauty of that. The clouds are kind of moving over it and past it and uh, watching that full moon. And then we're out at the beach that evening and just watching the majesty of the ocean. And then my wife, as we're staying on the beach, is pointing out just small things like a little crab that's kicking up uh, sand from uh, his nest and from his uh, little hole that he's dug in the sand there. So whether it is a, a celestial body that is 240,000 miles away from Earth that we're enjoying in the sky or the vastness of the ocean, or the specific uh, small, minute details of a crab crawling across the beach. God has given in his creation beauty and wonder and splendor that is a reflection of his creative power, and he lavishes that on us. We live in a part of the country where we get to enjoy that in incredible ways. The sunsets that we enjoy here, and just every expression of God's beauty and creativity he lavishes generously on us. He's generous in his creation. He's generous in his providence. What I mean by that is he allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. The fact that you're sitting here today drawing a breath, the fact that you're here today and your heart is beating, the fact that you woke up today and you have another day of life that God is sustaining you physically is just God's providence generously giving to you every day he lavishes on us generously through his providence. And probably the greatest way that God demonstrates his generosity to us is through our salvation. When he was under no obligation to save any of us. Because we were rebels against him, it would have been just and right uh, in his holiness to condemn us all for all eternity because of our rebellion against him. He was under no obligation to save any of us and yet... In his love and mercy towards sinners, he provided a way for our salvation. In his love and mercy, he generously gave his only begotten son. And so we have redemption through Jesus Christ. And we have the gift of eternal life. Today, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life for those who have turned from their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And God has lavishly, generously given to us through our salvation. And for those of us who are Christ followers, now he is generously giving to us as he grows us to make us more like Christ. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. He's given us wisdom to make decisions in life that would honor him. He's given us comfort and encouragement and strength to, to live our lives day in and day out. He has uh, given to us generously through our sanctification or through his process of making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, when we go to be with him or when he comes to take us uh, home to him, he will generously give us in our eternal inheritance. All that heaven is, all that heaven is being, uh, that's being prepared for us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that our eyes have not seen, our ears have not heard. It hasn't even entered into our minds what God has prepared for those who love him. It is going to be the grandest expression of his generosity that we could imagine one day when we get to spend eternity in heaven with him. Our God is a generous God. That may be the understatement of the day. 
The second reality I want you to think about is this. God owns it all. God owns it all. Everything belongs to him. I was in Raleigh, North Carolina not too long ago uh, with our ministry at Lifeline, and I was riding around town with a colleague, and we happened to be in a part of Raleigh that is kind of uh, an upper end of that community. And my friend was looking at all these houses and all these cars, and he made this statement. He said, you know, it's amazing how much money there is in this world and how little of it I have. (laughs) Do you ever feel like that? But let me tell you this. Your stuff is not your stuff. Your stuff is God's stuff. It all belongs to God. So I wonder if you would agree with that statement. My stuff is not my stuff. Would you say that with me? My stuff is not my stuff. Let's do that again. My stuff is not my stuff. It all belongs to God. He owns everything. The Bible speaks of the fact that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Look at this verse in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything belongs to him. Name a possession that you have. Name an asset that is in your portfolio. Your stuff is not your stuff. It all belongs to God. It's all his. Uh, And so that brings me to the third idea, and that's this. The third reality is God allows us to be stewards of his resources. My stuff is not my stuff, but God allows me to possess it. God allows me to use it. God intends for me to be a steward of what he gives me. And I think about the parable of the talents in the New Testament that Jesus told in Matthew 24. And you remember how uh, the owner of, of this great wealth was going away on a trip and he entrusted it to some of his uh, colleagues, some of his subordinates. And he said, I'm going to give you five talents. A, a talent was um, uh, an amount of money. It wasn't like we would think talent to play the oboe or talent to shoot free throws or something. A talent in the New Testament was talking about uh, a measure of money, an amount of money. So he gave a 10 to one and five to another and one to the other. And he went away and they were supposed to invest it and grow it and develop it. And the guy with 10 did and the guy with five did, but the guy with one didn't. He just kind of buried it and hid it, hoping that nobody would steal it. And when he came back, he said, look, I still got it. Yeah, but where was the growth? Where was the stewardship? What did you do with what I gave you? My stuff is not my stuff, but that doesn't mean I'm hands off. It means I am to use those things that God has given me as a resource to advance his kingdom. Remember our definition of generosity. Generosity is the natural and appropriate response from those of us who have been confronted with God's grace so that everything that we have, everything we are, everything we'll ever become would be shared to advance the kingdom of God and for his glory. And so I'm to be a steward of my stuff for that purpose, for the advancement of the gospel, for the glory of God. God allows us to be stewards of his resources. In fact, the passage that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 compels us to live a life of stunning generosity. Stunning generosity. Uh, Money is a measure of maturity in the Christian life. Not the amount you have, but the way you use it. The way you spend your money... Your debit card statement, your credit card statement, is a measure of your spiritual maturity. Have you ever thought about that? How you spend your money shows where your heart is. It's a a meter, if you will, a barometer, if you will, of your spiritual maturity. 
Are you using the stuff that God has given you as a faithful steward to advance his kingdom and for his glory uh, or not? Randy Alcorn has written a couple of good books on giving and on generosity. The Treasure Principle is one of his books. And he makes this statement. God doesn't prosper you to raise your standard of living. He prospers you to raise your standard of giving. He doesn't prosper you to raise your standard of living. He prospers you to raise your standard of giving. Let me share with you another reality as we think about living a life of generosity. And it's this. Generosity is a heart issue, not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You say, yeah, but when I think of generosity, I think of, it always comes back to money. It always comes back to giving money. That's what I think of when I think of generosity. It's not what generosity is, and I'll prove it to you. What is the opposite of generosity? The opposite of generosity is not wealth. If giving away money is generous, then keeping money would be wealth, right? But the opposite of generosity is not wealth. The opposite of generosity is what? Meanness, selfishness, covetousness. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Paul is urging the Corinthian church in the passages that we read to be generous because he's concerned about their heart, not because he's concerned about a bank account. Generosity is a heart issue, not a financial issue. Let me share this thought with you as well as we think about 10 realities of living a life of generosity. Generosity is more than an obligation. It's an opportunity. In fact, the Macedonian church were, uh, that we read about in, in 2 Corinthians 8, they were going through some severe trials. This was not a time of abundance for them. This was a time of severity and scarcity for them. And Paul says, those guys in those Macedonian churches came to me and practically begged me for the privilege of being generous to the ministry. They didn't have it. I was willing to say, listen, guys, I'm not... A, you guys are going through rough times right now. I'm not asking for anything financially. And they said, no, 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 Paul, you don't understand. We may not have a lot to give, but we want to, we want to advance the gospel through what you're doing. We want to give to you financially. And it says that they gave even beyond their ability to give. And so they saw it not as an obligation. Oh, well, here's the obligatory uh, epistle on giving, or here's the obligatory sermon on giving. They saw this as a great opportunity. They saw that God's kingdom was advancing and they could be a part of it through their generosity. It was not an obligation. It was an opportunity that these Macedonians saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm afraid too many times we look at giving or we look at generosity as some arm twisting, an obligation, not as an opportunity to see God's kingdom advance. Now, historically, Americans have been pretty generous. Of course, the recession affects that. Last year, or not last year, but 2014, which is the latest 12-month statistics that I have, Americans uh, as individuals gave about $258 billion to charity, to philanthropic causes, to religious causes, all totaled together. But the fact is that Americans have more wealth, and yet we give uh, less on percentage than ever before. Um, typically, uh, the average American in the last few years, maybe the last decade, gives about 
of his income to uh, charitable causes. Some of you are far above that. Some of you may be under that. Some of you may be right at about that 3% of your income. But that's what we've seen across the board the last few years. Florida, just to have a little factoid, Florida as a state ranks about 12th in giving among all the states in the United States. Listen, generosity is not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. We read these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And Paul is saying the, the, the reason this is so important is not because what God does through your gifts, although that's significant. The most significant thing is what God does in you as the giver. When God cultivates a generous heart, he's making you like himself because he is a generous God. He's not, he doesn't want you to be generous because he needs what you have. He wants you to be generous because of what generosity does for you, what generosity does for me and in me and through me. That's why he desires for me to have a generous heart. So I need to see it as an opportunity, not as an obligation. Here's another reality as we think about living a life of generosity. It's this. Generosity operates independent of personal or national or global economics. Uh, let me read to you again from our, our text this morning in Second Corinthians chapter 8. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. In other words, he's setting these guys up to say, pointing to them as an example. You Corinthian church, I want you to see what this looks like. I want you to see a picture of what a generous church looks like, a generous heart looks like. One of the most, uh, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. They didn't have it. They couldn't afford it. And yet because they had generous hearts, they gave. Generosity is independent of what your personal uh, economy is like right now. Uh, independent of what our national economy is like. Independent of the global economy. Well, we can't give because things are tight. We can't give because the, the, the market is low. Uh, this church is an example of giving of themselves, of giving beyond their ability, of giving even during severe times. In 2008, when we began to see the U.S. economy begin to, to tank, uh, the church where I was serving on staff had to downsize staff. And so I, re I resigned my job right in the face of one of the worst recessions that we've had in American history. And, and, and in the meantime, God moved me into nonprofit world, uh, and part of my responsibility was fundraising. <laughs> and, and it just seems like God has a sense of humor that he would take me from a church ministry job to put me into nonprofit ministry where now I'm responsible for helping to raise funds for our ministry right during one of the worst recessions in the United States. But God's economy is not dependent on GDP. God's economy is not dependent on Wall Street. God doesn't check the S&P every morning before he decides how to allocate his resources. So even if we are threatened by uh, scarcity or by job loss, uh, e even in those times, we tend to hoard what we have. And God says, I want you to hold things in this world with a loose hand. I want you to have a generous heart. In fact, I was thinking about this. 
the two most generous men that I know are not wealthy men. By any means, by any of our measures, we would, we would say that neither of these men are wealthy men. One of them lives here in Volusia County, and one of them lives in Romania. And uh, Romania is one of the lowest economies in the EU, and yet this man, of very, very modest means, uh, living uh, more than uh, paycheck to pay, or less than paycheck to paycheck, sometimes not even knowing where next week's uh, income is going to come from, is one of the most generous men that I have ever met, giving of himself, giving of whatever he has, trusting the Lord to provide for himself. It's not based on our personal economy, our national economy, or our global economy. And uh, and so you say, well, I hear what you're saying, and listen, if I had a huge stock portfolio, if I had uh, all these assets, if I had a ton of money, I would be the most generous. But I don't, so I'm not. Let me tell you a story about a fellow named Caleb. Caleb is an 11-year-old boy. And it was summer break. It was last summer, 2015. Last summer, Caleb, uh, who's very creative and, and always thinking of uh, fun and adventurous things to do, decided that he and his he would uh, employ his two younger sisters and they would have a lemonade stand. And they decided, the three kids decided that they wanted this lemonade stand to go to help orphans around the world and so they decided that they would raise money at their lemonade stand and give it to the ministry of lifeline and so they had this lemonade stand they set it up in a park and they had the lemonade stand and at the end of the day they made eight dollars and 25 cents for lemonade well they didn't know if that was good or bad but that's what it was and so they were excited about that came home told mom and dad we raised eight dollars and 25 cents for orphans well, the next day they decided to go to a dog park and have a dog biscuit stand and give that money to orphans. The next day they made over $12. Evidently, the dog biscuit market is more lucrative than the lemonade market, in case you're making, wanting to make an investment out there. Uh, and so they made about 20 bucks, a little over 20 bucks for orphans. And then they went to church and they began to talk to other kids in their Sunday school class and say, hey, would you be willing to do a lemonade stand in your neighborhood and raise the money and, and we're going to call this Stand for Orphans. So you have a stand, we had a stand, you have a stand, and we're going to stand for orphans. And so some of the kids in that church began to stand for orphans and give their uh, proceeds to orphan care. And then it began to get on social media and what we as a ministry saw last summer was we saw kids from 32 different states have lemonade stands, dog biscuit stands. Uh, one kid's family raised bees, and so they had a honey stand. Uh, but from 32 different states, we saw children raise money to give to the ministry of orphan care through Lifeline. And then Caleb, this 11-year-old entrepreneur, went to his dad and said, Listen, Dad, you've got this guy, this friend that lives in Mississippi, and he's got a lot of money. Do you think he would be willing to match whatever the kids give to Lifeline through the lemonade stands? And so his dad made a phone call. The guy said, yeah, I'll match whatever these kids raise. Last summer, through the Stand for Orphans lemonade stands, we saw over $87,000 raised because an 11-year-old kid named Caleb and his two sisters started this thing 
with a lemonade stand that made $8.25. God's not limited to your personal finances or our country's economy or the global markets. God intends for us to be generous, and that generosity is independent of those things. Let me share with you another reality as we think about living a life of generosity, and that is that in an individual, generosity needs to be a lifestyle. And in a community, like a church, it needs to be part of the culture. So we, we've conditioned people in the American church these days to be a consumer. Well, I go to this church because they do this, this, and this for me or for my kids or for my family. And we're consumers. God doesn't want us to be consumers. He wants us to have a generous heart. There are sign-up sheets in the, in the lobby today on different ways that you can be engaged in the ministry at Restoration. Uh, whether it is set up or whether it's the ministry we have at Palmetto House or the ministry we have at Sweetwater Elementary or other ways that you can be engaged in ministry here. Uh, but, you know, you can, you can go to the typical American church and look at their Sunday bulletin or look at their church newsletter and pretty much immediately tell, is this a church that has the culture of generosity or not? Because a lot of the things that they announce are things we're doing for us. Things that are going to make us feel good. Times for us to get together. It's not outward focus. It's inward focused. And we've created that culture in a lot of our American churches. Instead of having a generous heart, we have a consumer's heart. But in, in an individual's heart, in my heart, generosity needs to be a lifestyle. In our culture, at our, our community at Restoration, it needs to be part of the DNA of our culture. Generosity should be a part of who we are. And uh, here's another thought, especially coming from nonprofit world, um, where we we you know have to focus on certain trends in giving. But generosity is not uh, a season of the year. It's not uh, some kind of stewardship campaign. Typically, in nonprofit world, uh, the bulk of the giving happens between Thanksgiving and year end. Twenty four percent of most Nonprofits budgets come in during Thanksgiving, uh, between Thanksgiving and the year uh, end. And so we'll talk about uh, year-end campaigns where we're going to do a direct mail piece or we're going to have some kind of special promotion where we want to encourage folks during that season of giving, if you will, to give. Because 24, 24% of uh, what people give, they give during that part of the year. But generosity is not just something you do at the end of the year, not just something for the holidays. Generosity is something that's just part of who we are. It's just a, a need pops up, and God moves on our hearts to be generous, and we respond in obedience. doesn't matter what time of the year it is. doesn't matter if there's a, an emphasis or a promotion going on. Uh, it's not a season of the year. It is a lifestyle. It is a culture. Let me share two more thoughts with you as we think about realities of living a life of generosity one is this generosity always has eternity in view always has eternity in view listen to uh, philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ we live in this world but we are not of this world our citizenship is elsewhere and so the investments that we need to be making is not our temporary home, but our eternal home. Generosity operates with eternity in view. The reason we would uh, 
have the natural and appropriate response as those who've been confronted by God's grace to share all that we are, all that we have, and all that we will be ever become for the advancement of God's kingdom and for the glory of God is because we live with eternity in view, not for the moment. It's countercultural because we live in a world that says live for the moment. Every commercial you see, every advertisement your eyes come across is screaming at you, live for the moment. You need this now. Do this now. But God wants us to operate with eternity in view. Generosity operates with eternity in view. My dad is um, in his 90s. Uh, I don't even know what you call that anymore. I knew what he was when he was an octogenarian in his 80s, but I don't know what somebody in their 90s is called, but he's in his 90s. He's not doing well physically. He's dealing with the onset of dementia. Uh, And we've had to downsize things for him. And um, my dad was, uh, is a, a bit of a pack rat. I know none of you are like that, but this was my dad's case. And so not too long ago, my daughter Cheyenne and I went up to uh, where he lives in Tennessee, and we helped to kind of downsize by uh, kind of uh, getting rid of some stuff and moving some stuff around and that kind of stuff. And it was amazing how much stuff he had accumulated in 90 years. Not, not stuff like you and I would consider assets, but just stuff, just stuff. And as we're cleaning that out and we're downsizing all that stuff, and I think about what it is that we really accumulate in life, I'm realizing stuff is not the proper priority. This world is not our home. My dad would tell you this world is not his home. In fact, he's at the stage in life where he longs to go and be with the Lord Jesus. And um, our citizenship is not here. Do you remember Jim Elliott? Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador and lost his life in the cause of bringing the gospel to the Aka Indians. And Jim Elliott, uh, his wife wrote his biography through Gates of Splendor. This is what Jim Elliott said. You've heard this quote before more than likely. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Listen, you want to know how rich you are today? Add up everything that you have that money can't buy and death can't take away. And that's how rich you are. Because we live with eternity in view. Let me share one final thought with you, and that is that generosity is gospel-focused. Generosity is gospel-focused. In... um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I didn't write this verse down, so I'm going to look over and read it with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Paul gave of himself, spent his life giving of himself with a generous heart for the, for the purpose that others might come to know the Lord Jesus. It's worth giving our lives for. It's worth giving our resources for. It's worth using the talents that God has given you. And the energy that God has given you. And the focus that God has given you. Generosity ought to be uh, an advancement of God's kingdom. That we see more people come to Christ. Because we have a generous heart. That's part of the reason God wants us to be generous. Is for the advancement of his kingdom. And for the glory of his great name. 
And if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower and, and you came for because somebody invited you or you came because you were curious or you bought a ticket and you've got an early seat at the movie coming up, I don't know wh- what brought you here today, but I'm, I'm here to invite you into a, a, an, a life with Christ that is rich and sweet and abundant. And God wants to do something in us and with us and through us as Christ followers. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, I invite you today to come to Jesus, to turn away from your sins, to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and to come to him in salvation. Let me close with just some practical applications. God wants us to be generous. And many of us are, are developing and growing in that. Paul told the Corinthians, listen, you already excel in knowledge, in love, in, in faith. There are a lot of things that you're doing really well. I want you to excel in this grace of giving, he said. I want you to excel at being a generous Christian. To be stunningly generous would be my Wooten paraphrase of chapter 8, verse 6 or 7. So how can we take where we are now and growing in our generosity and continue to grow in that grace? Let me share with you some just some practical ideas as far as biblical targets for your generosity. And one is I would recommend uh, that we learn to be generous to our pastor. Now, he didn't ask me to say this, and I didn't tell him I was going to say this, especially on his 40th birthday, but... Uh, I, I just think that there's a biblical precedent for the church to be generous to its pastor. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. The elders who direct the affairs of the church uh, uh, well, well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves its wages. One way that we can be generous is to our pastor. To love on him, to serve him, to encourage him, to give to him. Uh, Paul talked in 2 Corinthians about uh, all the hardships that he'd been through. He'd been shipwrecked, he'd been beaten, he'd been stoned, he'd been abandoned. All these, he lists all these hardships. And at the end of this long list of things that he had endured for the cause of Christ, the last item on the list is, and on top of that, I have the daily burden of, of responsibility for the churches. There's a mantle of responsibility that a pastor wears that you don't just check at the door at 5 p.m. when you go home. Because we, as his sheep, don't schedule our crises and our problems and our difficulties and our hurts between 9 and 5. We live with those all the time. And so a good pastor will live with those hurts and difficulties that his people are going through all the time. There's a heavy mantle of responsibility that comes when a pastor is faithfully shepherding his people. And the sheep ought to recognize that and appreciate that and lavishly be generous to their pastor. Here's a, a second biblical target. The Bible's very clear that we're to give to the poor. I don't know what your reaction is when you see somebody that is uh, without, maybe somebody that is without and is asking for something. Um, I think some of us have different reactions to that when we see, but the Bible's very clear that God intends for us to be generous to the poor. And in fact, Proverbs says, he who gives to the poor loans to the Lord or lends to the Lord. Uh, and so I think the Bible is very clear that one of the targets of our generosity ought to be the poor. Another would be the oppressed. And we read through the scripture, especially the, 
the two categories of people, the widows and the orphans, that we ought to give and be generous to the oppressed. In fact, uh, I'm very familiar with the passages dealing with orphans and with the fatherless. The Bible says we're to provide for them. We're to protect them. We are not to ignore them. They're not to be off our radar. They're to be on our radar. In fact, if they are off our radar, God says in Exodus 22, I will come against you. That's a pretty serious threat that none of us want to be uh, uh, in danger of. And so giving to the oppressed, whether it's widows or orphans or, or others. Another target of biblical generosity would be other believers that have need, especially folks that are in our church family. Folks that have needs in our church family, we ought to be ready to stand in and give and share. Listen to Acts 4.34, talking about the early church. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Our church ought to be known as a place where we take care of brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. And the last way I would encourage you to to have a biblical target for your generosity would be think of ways that your giving could advance the gospel, especially to those who have never heard, especially to World A or the 1040 window or those that have no uh, uh, opportunity to hear the gospel, unreached people groups, if you will. How could you be engaged through your generosity to help carry the gospel to those folks? It may be that God is calling you to go. Your generosity might be that you would be one who would go as a missionary to unreached people groups and bring the name of Christ where it is not named. Or it may be that through your gifts or your your generosity or through your mobilization somehow, you might be engaged in advancing the gospel through your generosity. Let me ask you this about restoration. Does our community think that Restoration Church is a generous church? I think I think we're growing in that grace. And and I think we're we're trying uh deliberately and intentionally to demonstrate that we want to give to this community. We want to show this community that we really care. We're not huddled in here on Sunday morning without any thought of who's out there, of our neighbors. We want to see the grace of God extended from this church to this community. And one of the ways that that can be propelled and accelerated is as we learn and grow in the grace of generosity. If, if we are a church that's marked by generosity, this community will take note of that because it's so countercultural to the way they live their lives every day. God is calling this church to do things that you, are beyond what you and I have even conceived of, beyond what our leadership here have even conceived of. And I think that um, the question we ask is, what is God calling us to do, and will we be able to do that if we have a culture of generosity in our community here at Restoration? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for um, the opportunity to look at these Macedonian churches and Paul's putting them on display in Second Corinthians 8, Second Corinthians 9. I pray that you would cultivate in us a heart and a spirit of generosity and that through that you would make us more like the Lord Jesus and that you would accomplish your purposes, that you would advance your kingdom and that you would lift um, your great name high among those who do not know you and need to know you. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just real quick.